Scripture reading this morning will be from 1 John chapter 1. It will be verses 5 through 10. Again, that is 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, and I'll be reading from the King James. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You may be seated. Well, I certainly thank you for your presence today. I want to be uh, thankful and very appreciative of the men who've led us in our worship today. I appreciate very much the very fine and dignified way in which you've gone about it, and I know that we're ready now to enter into this portion of our worship service, which is the study and the proclamation of the divine will and word of God. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. We ask you to come back and be with us whenever you possibly can. We'll be meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. We meet on Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, and we're always looking forward to the times and the opportunities to be together. And so I hope that we'll be able to see you then and that you'll stay long enough for us to become acquainted and become good friends. We've been studying about the family, the spiritual family of God through the pages of the Bible, and uh, I wanted to continue this discussion of the family of God with this discussion about fellowship. As you can see already by the text that we've read, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. And fellowship is quite an important issue. It's always been an issue in the restoration movement. But more than that, love, fellowship, and unity among the family of God occupies a very prominent place in the pages of the New Testament. In fact, it was in the, on the night of the betrayal in John chapter 17 where Jesus began to pray, and he expanded that prayer not only to include his prayer to God and himself, but also to those who would be following him. I'll read John 17, verse 20 and 21. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through your, their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Fellowship becomes a very important issue to Christ, as we find it in this model prayer. And he makes the point again in John chapter 13. Now, this was earlier than the John 17 passage, but it certainly was late in his ministry by the time we get to John chapter 13. And I'm thinking about verse 34 and 35, and I'm picking up on these passages that Jesus spoke about with the matter of fellowship among the people of God. A new commandment I give to you, John thirteen thirty four, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
So it takes a very prominent role in the matter of Christianity, this matter of fellowship. And it certainly comes to uh, a matter of us exhibiting that fellowship with each other, enjoying that spiritual fellowship that we have. And the world sees that, and the world sees the camaraderie, the spiritual fellowship that we have with the other. However, when division begins to exist, then a a certain portion of this matter of Christianity has been forgotten, and no longer is it the focal point as it really should be. And we must always work to prevent that from ever happening. Paul writes about fellowship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a passage there that emphasizes the matter of Christian fellowship in the church, and you see that from the standpoint of the body. And he uses the analogy of the body. If I may, let me just read a passage or two out of this 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it begins at about verse 12, and it continues on down through about verse 27, but I won't read all of that. I want to read just a portion of this particular passage, which is emphasizing the point at hand. And he's talking about the body, he's talking about the church, and he's talking about the members of the church working in fellowship with each other. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the sense of smell? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. And that's verse 18. The point of emphasis that Paul is giving in this matter of fellowship is simply the fact that every member has a particular function. Every member has a particular responsibility, just like it is with each member of the body, the physical body. And there are many members of our physical body, and each one of them is a particular member. Each one of them has a particular function, a particular responsibility. And we easily see that with regard to our physical body. But Paul's helping us see that with regard to the family, the spiritual body that there are no unimportant members in the body of Christ. There are no unneeded members in the body of Christ, that each contributes in his own important way, and each is, each is a part of her own important aspect with regard to the church and its fellowship with each other. In Galatians chapter 6, I'd like to read a passage or two there how that this thought of the importance of fellowship among ourselves continues on. And now I'm in Galatians chapter 6, and he notices particularly in about verse 2, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. It emphasizes the importance of our being together, doesn't it? In verse 10, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He's telling us that there's a responsibility which we have to work for the benefit of each other in this fellowship, the family of God. While I'm in the book of Galatians, I want to read further about fellowship. I'm trying to illustrate the point how important it is in the New Testament, how important it is for the family of God. Now I'm in Galatians chapter 3. Here's an interesting passage. It's come to us in about verse 28. 
after talking about how important it is for us to be a part of the body by means of baptism into Christ and to be clothed with Christ, he makes this particular point for us in the latter portion of the chapter. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that was Galatians 3, and the verse is verse 28. And it's emphasizing the oneness, the unity, the fellowship that is to be a part of the family of God. Another great passage that comes to my mind would have to be 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, and I'm thinking about the wonderful statement that Peter makes with regard to this point about fellowship. And the verse that I have in mind is about verse 8. He says here, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Now he gets into a a negative type of statement in verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you're all called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And I hope you see the unity and the harmony and the fellowship found in this particular passage. In fact, it would do us good to look at some of these words a little closer in verse 8, harmonious. Harmonious is being together, being in concert with each other, being in fellowship with each other. This passage uses the term sympathetic. I have a certain compassion toward other brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, he uses that brotherly. We're in a divine kinship together, spiritually speaking. Kind-hearted conveys the idea that I have a tender heart for you and toward other, others, and humble in spirit, recognizing the greatness of God and the importance of God and the important work that we have before God and for each other. While I'm here in First Peter, I'm going to go to First Peter chapter 4, and I'm looking at verse 8 and verse 9. These particular passages are emphasizing the fact that we as the family of God are involved in a wonderful fellowship. He says in verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable one to another without complaint, being compatible. He says in this particular instance, you know, have fervent love, be considerate one toward the other. Be the kind of person who truly loves in a biblical, spiritual type of way his brothers and sisters in Christ. And I turn to this great passage in 1 John chapter 4. And when you get to 1 John, you get 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you're looking at three books there that are devoted to this matter of fellowship and the family of God. And we use 1 John chapter 1 as a lesson text, which I'll talk about in a moment. But right now I'm in chapter 4. And I'm going to pick out just a few passages out of 1 John chapter 4, which is going to emphasize the point for us as well. Notice verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I think I'll go to verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And I want to read verse 20 and 21 out of the selection. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God 
should love his brother also. Well, I think you come to see by now that, you know, the Bible is filled with these important passages with regard of brotherly love, kindness, fellowship, and unity. And it certainly is to bespeak the family of God that we have that kind of relationship one with another, that if we really love Christ, then we're going to love each other as we really should. It is a matter of our fellowship. You see, we are all working together to help each other spiritually. The strong are going to help the weak. The more mature are going to help the younger. And that works vice versa, where the younger are helping the older. The weak and the poor are being helped by those who have. It is a loving fellowship that is such a great blessing among us. It's a wonderful thing, a wonderful blessing that we have from God, that we have this fellowship in the family of God. And we should never take it for granted. In fact, I'd say it's one of the great blessings that we have for being a child of God, is to have the fellowship and the camaraderie that we have as children of God. But fellowship can be broken, can it? Sometimes fellowship takes a back seat. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong with Demas. Demas is no longer a part of the fellowship. He's forgotten about the wonderful fellowship and camaraderie that children of God have. That sweet friendship spiritually. That kinship that marks us as children of God. What happened to Demas? It can happen to others and has happened to others as well. Sometimes temptation gets so strong in an individual's life. It begins to take over. And in so doing... They fall from fellowship and are no longer a part of the fellowship. You'll remember the parable about the sower, Matthew chapter 13. Sower went forth to sow. Some seed fell by the wayside, and the fellow of the air came and devoured it up. Some seed fell among the rocky ground, and immediately it sprang up. But when the sun came out, it was withered and scorched. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. And there were some who did fall on good ground. And they asked him about the seed. He said, the seed is the word of God. And these soils are human hearts. And on some human hearts, the seed falls and it germinates and it grows. But yet when trials and tribulations of life come up like the sun, it scorches it out and it withers and they fall away. They fall away because of problems of life and they lose that fellowship. Sometimes the cares of life and the difficulties of life are so great, it's like the thorns. And immediately it springs up. The Word of God is growing, but the cares of life choke it out, and they fall away. Sometimes fellowship is lost because people, because of sin, falling into sin, lose fellowship with God and fellowship one with another. I go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, and in this particular passage of Scripture, you see this very point that's made for us again, not only in Matthew chapter 13, as I've mentioned, but you see it in 1 Peter chapter 5 in the verse of verse 8. Be a sober spirit. Be on the alert. 
Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, seeking someone to devour. Now, that Bible passage came from 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, now, you've got to be on the alert. You've got to watch out. Because the devil's roaring a lot, like a roaring lion. You know why the lion roars? The lion roars because of its social ranking in the pride. It roars to warn other predators not to come into that area. But it also roars at the victim. And as it is ready to pounce upon the victim, it gives a loud roar which kind of paralyzes the prey and in so doing makes it easier prey for the lion to devour. And he says, that's what the devil is like. The devil like a roaring lion. He comes across with a loud roar to instill fear in your heart. And though so doing, you become easy prey for the devil and the temptations that he offers. And when that happens, fellowship is lost. In Revelation chapter 2, there's a wonderful passage about fellowship there. I don't know that we've thought about it from that perspective much or not. But in Revelation chapter 2, the verse is verse 10 where he says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer, because the devil is about to cast you, some of you, in prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I'll give you the crown of life. And so he's admonishing them, that passage, Revelation 2 verse 10, is a Bible passage emphasizing the fact the devil's going to try you and the devil's going to test you. He's going to do his very best to get you to succumb to sin and temptation. He's going to tempt you, and if you're not careful, you're going to fall away. But you be faithful. And he uses this preposition, unto or until death. And sometimes I think we might misunderstand the placement of that particular word. It's not saying be faithful all the days of your life, though the Bible is emphasizing that important matter for us. He's emphasizing in that verse, Revelation 2.10, even in the face of death, you be faithful. Now, he's going to come and he's going to tempt you. He's going to come and he's going to persecute you. And you're going to suffer, but you be faithful, even in the face of death. You see, sometimes, because of sin and persecution, people lose fellowship. And they drop out of the family of God. Because they begin to follow the devil and are succumbed by his temptations and the wiles and the schemes of the devil. Perhaps one of the most clearest statements of that can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's writing to a troubled church, a congregation, who has among its members a wayward member. And this wayward member, of course, you know, it's involved in immorality. There's incest that's involved here, and it's a sin. It's a terrible sin. The Apostle Paul addresses it in verses 5 through 7. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's the point about it. We want him to repent. We want him to come back because... Fellowship has been disrupted in the family of God, and he's fallen away. 
And he's no longer a part of us because he's yielded to temptation and thus sin. Your boasting is not good, he said in verse 6. Do you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the whole leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed, verse 7. This poor man, who has become victim to sin and suffering through sin, in turn, has lost fellowship with God and fellowship with the people of God. We can lose this fellowship. Now, we studied a moment ago what a wonderful thing love, fellowship, unity is. What a prominent place it has in the pages of the New Testament. But we're also seeing how it can be lost. It can be lost due to our own weakness spiritually and our own sin. And in so doing, we can lose this wonderful blessing that God has in store for us. I said a moment ago, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were three books about fellowship. I now turn to the book of 2nd John. It's one of the five one-chapter books in the pages of the Bible. 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Philemon, and the Old Testament prophet Obadiah. In 2 John, you have a passage here I think that many preachers have forgotten was in the Bible. In 2 John, verses 9 through 11, John emphasizes this important matter of being faithful and what a response to the matter of sin ought to be. Anyone who goes too far, 2 John, verse 9, and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting, verse 11. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Fellowship can be lost. Now the specific context of this passage is about a heretical view that's beginning to spring up about the nature of Christ. And if you can imagine... There were those who were beginning to say in the latter portion of the first century that Christ did not come in the flesh. He only appeared to have come. In other words, simply put, they were saying Christ did not come in human form. Now, this particular view came to be known as Gnosticism in the second and the third century. It was a heretical view. They had a false understanding of the nature of Christ, and they were promoting that false understanding. And John said, we can't have fellowship with that. Fellowship is lost over a matter of this false doctrine that's being taught. Fellowship can be lost with regard to the matter of sin. Fellowship can be lost with regard to the matter of false doctrine that would lead people astray. You know, it's only truth that sets us free. It's not error. Error is not going to set us free. Set us free from what? Set us free from the guilt of sin. The truth will set you free. God's Word is the truth, John 17 and 17. If I have a lack of understanding properly about that, then I need to be taught, and I need to be submissive to the will of God. But if I'm going to promote error that's going to cause myself to be lost and others to be lost, then a disciplinary action must be taken. 
And here John is saying, do not have anything to do with individuals such as that. Now I read a moment ago in 1 John chapter 5, about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, about fellowship. And that there was a certain individual there that was involved in error and what they were to do about it. And I'm to go back to that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm looking at verse 13 now. I didn't read that before, but I believe I will now. And he says in this particular instance, verse 11, But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler not even to eat with such a one. Notice verse 13. But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. You see, a disciplinary action sometimes is required when people fall victims to sin, when people refuse to live and follow the teaching of the Word of God. It brings reproach upon the church of the living God. The people in the community don't understand it. They begin, the, begin to get the idea that these people are believing such a thing because they tolerate such a matter. The Bible is telling us that fellowship is a precious thing, but it's a fragile thing. Now, since I've talked about this individual in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I have to bring up this matter in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about this individual once again. In fact, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, their disciplinary action with regard to the matter of the wayward brother had its effect. He's come back. And that is the desire of the matter, beginning in verse 5. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you, sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority, verse 7. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And we really ought to go on down through verse 11 to read that particular matter, but such is sufficient to prove the point that here... It's had its needed effect to save the soul, to bring that soul back from this immoral living that he was engaged in. Needs to be taught and needs to be emphasized that this is not something that one can be blessed in, nor that God will bless them, but at the same time, sin must be repented of. The Apostle Paul in the book of uh, 2 Thessalonians brings this particular matter to the focus in chapter 3. I'm studying this important issue of how fellowship can be lost and what needs to be done about it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at about verse 6, I'll read a couple of verses in this chapter. Now we command you, Brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition which you received from us. Where tradition there simply means the teaching of the inspired apostles. He said, now this is your attitude about the matter. 
You see, you just simply can't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, Ephesians 5 and 17. There is a matter of losing fellowship and how we should handle the matter. And while I'm here, I'll read verse 14 and 15. You might ought to mark these passages in the pages of your Bible. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The idea is that he is to understand his need to repent and to change his life in keeping with the Word of God. And I'll go back to this particular point that we read in Galatians chapter 6. Now I'm in verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to himself, so that you too will not be tempted. There's a responsibility which we have with regard to the wayward, to teach them and bring them back and admonish them to be faithful to the Word of God. I find myself in the book of James looking at this responsible topic of fellowship. And in a very practical way, James, in James chapter 5, gives us verse 19 and 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turn him back, let him know that he's turned a sinner from the error of his way, will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Now that's James 5 in the verses 19 and the verses verse 20. And the emphasis of the passages are, bring this one back. Encourage this one to repent. Admonish this person to be involved in fellowship again because it's the sweetest relationship that we can have on this side of eternity. You see, it can be lost. It can be lost due to sin. It can be lost due to error. And we need to do something about it. And the first thing we need to do about it is try to restore the erring and bring them back, and encourage them to live the Christian life once again. But there's another motive with regard to this matter of disciplinary action. And the motive involved in that is for the protection of the church itself. And so I spend just a brief moment to encourage and read Bible passages which admonish us that we've got to be very careful with regard to our fellowship, not take it lightly, and encourage those who are outside the body of Christ who were once a part of the body, to be back a part of the body once again. The one that I have in mind right now is Romans chapter 16. And in Romans chapter 16, Paul's closing this great uh, passage of Scripture, and he looks at this particular verse, verse 17 and 18, and he's warning us to watch, be careful, be considerate of this matter. I'm in Romans 16 and verse, verse 17, Now I urge you, brethren... Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. And the focus that Paul is giving in this particular matter with regard to the way where he says, you've got to watch out for it. You've got to notice. Now, Paul's not saying you're to become the church cop. 
Paul is saying, though, that we've got to be careful and we've got to notice with regard to what's going on. I don't think he has in mind withdrawal of fellowship here. But what he has in mind is notice of what someone is saying and what someone believes to help them and encourage them and to bring them back because we must protect the church of the living God. I suppose the quintessential example of that would have to be Acts chapter 5 where God dealt with Ananias and Sapphira right then. And you'll remember the situation that was involved in that particular matter, how that they had lied to God and lied to the Holy Spirit with regard to what what they had given and what they had claimed to give. But you know, God knew their heart. God knew their mind. God knew perfectly the consequences of that sin. And He knew that He had to deal with it right then. Only God could make that kind of disciplinary action. Only God would know how to handle that. We wouldn't. But it does demonstrate a fact that sometimes discipline is necessary. It does demonstrate the fact sometimes we have to urge, plead, teach, and beg. I mean beg people to repent and come back because this sweet, sweet fellowship can be lost. Lost due to sin, bringing reproach upon the church of God. And we don't want that. So what have we learned today with regard to this important matter of fellowship and the family of God? We've learned that fellowship is love, trust, and devotion built upon the agreement with one another and the principles set for us in the New Testament. So let there be no question about what it really is with regard to what the Bible means in regard to the matter of fellowship. We're in step with each other. That's really the language Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians. We're in step with each other. We're basing our fellowship on the Word of God and us living it and encouraging one another to do the same. And we're in agreement on that. Again, I always look for great examples that help me understand these principles. And I think this Acts chapter 2 is really one of the great passages of Scripture that help us in that regard. And you'll remember after the preaching on the day of Pentecost, the text talks about the life of the church in addition to this great sermon that Peter gave. And he says in Acts chapter 2 verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those things, all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 43. You see, they had, they had fellowship with each other. They were in agreement. I suppose one of the best passages that defines the matter would have to be 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So let me turn to that passage just for a moment and discuss it with you. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you definitely have a problem church there that having difficulty with the very issue that we're studying. But it's in verse 10, and you really ought to mark verse 10, that he lines out for us what this aspect of fellowship in the family of God really is about. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, Now I exhort you, brethren, 
by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but you, you made, that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's fellowship. You notice the words that are used there, be in agreement. You know, we're in agreement on these matters of Christianity. We understand them, and we're in agreement with each other about it. These aspects of New Testament Christianity, we agree. This is where we are. There are no divisions among us in these particular matters. We have completeness in the same mind and in the same judgment. We understand what the purpose is. We understand these important matters. The ideal picture got to be here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10 Submission to the divine will of God and in step with each other. But the story doesn't end there. He says in verse 11, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 13. Fracturing of the church. Taking place at Corinth. Fellowships being broken up. Some people have forgotten these divine principles that we've been working hard to study today. Family sort of dividing up over preachers. This preacher says that. This preacher baptized me. That preacher baptized you. And they were beginning to divide up over matters such as that. And this particular fracturing idea actually flowers as the centuries roll on. And denomination after denomination after denomination begins to divide and develop and grow. And more division takes place and more division takes place. Until it's hard to even see anything of New Testament Christianity. You know, it's amazing to me how that God could say in Deuteronomy chapter 4, don't add to to God's Word, don't take away from God's Word. It's amazing to me how the God can say in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 6, if you add to God's Word, God considers you a liar. It's amazing to me in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, do not add anything to the writing of this prophecy. Don't add anything or take away from the writing of this book. You see, it doesn't matter where you are in the Bible whether in the beginning of part of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 4, the middle of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 30, or the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, the principle is the same. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Because when you do, you're going to break fellowship. You're not going to have fellowship with God. You're not going to have fellowship one with another. And yet they do it. Paul in Galatians chapter 1 he says, I marvel that you are so removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel, which is not another. But though I or an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel to you than that which we have you have received, let him be accursed. 
And what I said before, let me say it also again. Even an angel from heaven, if he comes and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Don't receive him. You see, men try to do it. They try to add to God's Word. They try to take away from God's Word. And fellowship naturally is ruptured and no longer is the wonderful, sweet relationship among the family of God. But now there's fracturing. Now there is division because some have decided to add to or take away from the divine standard which God has given. And it's a crying shame, even today, that comes up. I think fellowship can be described perhaps in three ways. Full fellowship. Full fellowship is the idea that we're together. 1 Corinthians 1.10, same mind, same judgment. There might be what could be called a partial fellowship. And I'm thinking in terms of what Paul and Barnabas went through over John Mark. How that at the completion of the first missionary journey, they were ready to start the second, but Paul did not want to take John Mark. But Barnabas said, yes, let's take John Mark. And Paul said, no, we're not going to take John Mark. And the issue was contentious among them. And so Paul takes Silas and they go west and then... John, Mark, and Barnabas, they go back to Cyprus again. Oh, they were still in the same church. They're still in the church of the living God, obedient, believed the same doctrine, obeyed the same doctrine, but with regard to the matter of strategy, they just didn't agree. It was a matter of strategy. Maybe we could call that partial fellowship. And then there's a issue where we would have no fellowship, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And I mentioned our lesson text today, and I want to get back to it now and study it just briefly because of the time. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 6. And what he has in mind there is a continual walking in a wayward fashion. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is the light, We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 7. And what a great verse that is. Because he's talking about the blood of Christ continually cleansing and cleansing and cleansing. If we are walking in the light, a metaphor for living according to the message of Christ every single day. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. Verse 9, we can get the cleansing that we need if we'll repent of the sin and be in fellowship once again with each other and with God. And so Paul's admonition to the church at Ephesus 
Let us endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. Let us continue to work toward greater levels of unity, love, and fellowship in the family of God. Let us be concerned about not allowing these issues to come up among us and fracture the beautiful relationship and fellowship which we enjoy in Christ Jesus. May we ever continue to walk in the light as He is in the light so that we will continue to have the cleansing efficacy of the blood of Christ every single day, living for Him now and living with Him in glory thereafter. If you're not a child of God today, I urge you to become one and become a part of this wonderful fellowship. Because if you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of sins and confess the name of Christ and in turn repented of sin, you're not really part of the fellowship. Become a child of God today. Or it could very well be that I'm speaking to someone today who needs to repent of their sin and turn back to Christ and restore the fellowship that you once enjoyed with the family of God. And if that is the case, I urge you to do it now. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?